This episode was recorded on 26 October 2023. There's a whiff of war in Lebanon. Haunted by memories of previous wars, many Lebanese are worried of conflict escalating and are preparing for the worst. Families have packed emergency bags in case they need to suddenly evacuate. People have begun stockpiling medicine and water. In Tyr, the urban soundscape is occasionally interrupted by the sound of bombardment coming from the frontier. And in southern Lebanon, which shares a border with Israel, most border towns are deserted. The country's southern border has been the site of a so far contained conflict between the Lebanese militant group Hezbollah and Israel, causing dozens of fatalities. It is a splinter conflict of the broader Israel-Gaza war. A ground invasion of Gaza by Israel is expected any moment now. If this happens, the Iran-backed Hezbollah could potentially be involved in supporting its ally, the Palestinian militant group Hamas, which controls the blockaded Gaza Strip. So what is Hezbollah's role in this war? Could the group change the trajectory of war in Gaza? And what would the cost be for Lebanon if another war would erupt? This is Beyond the Headlines, and I'm your host, Nada Homsi, from the National's Beirut Bureau. And this week, we're asking how Lebanon's Hezbollah is involved in the current conflict. To understand the reasons behind the tensions between Israel and Hezbollah, we have to go back to some events in history. Hezbollah is a Shiite Muslim political and militant organization founded in the early 1980s during the Lebanese Civil War, which lasted for 15 years. It was created primarily as a response to Israel's occupation of South Lebanon. The group has both political and military wings, and resisting Israel is among its core ideologies. The occupation lasted for nearly two decades and witnessed a continuous resistance from Hezbollah. And in May 2000, Israel withdrew its forces from the country. But Hezbollah says Israel still occupies a sliver of Lebanese land. Since 2000, tensions on the borders of both countries never really stopped. Things escalated in 2006 after Hezbollah captured two Israeli soldiers and killed others, resulting in a 33-day war with Israel. Israel responded by launching a military offensive into Lebanon. Lasting for a month, this war claimed the lives of more than 1,200 Lebanese, most of them civilians, and 165 Israelis, mostly soldiers. Almost 17 years later, Hezbollah is now a well-armed, experienced paramilitary with an estimated 30,000 fighters at the ready and approximately 150,000 rockets and missiles in its arsenal, some of which can reach deep into Israel. While the tension on the border has simmered for years, it has taken on added significance in recent weeks after the start of the Israel-Gaza war. It seems that the two parties are preparing for further escalations. Between 40 and 60,000 people have already been displaced from South Lebanon's border towns. Residents fear a full-blown war spilling into the country. Israel, as well, has partially evacuated 42 towns and cities along the border with Lebanon. To better understand how the conflict could affect Lebanon, I sat down with Mohanad Haj Ali, who is the deputy director for research at the Malcolm H. Kerr Carnegie Middle East Center in Beirut. Hezbollah is a, defines itself as a resistance movement adhering to the Khomeinist ideology or Khomeinist doctrine of Shia Islam. And it uh, was established uh, following the Israeli invasion of Lebanon in 1982. And it sees itself as part of the global Islamic resistance, which is led by the Iranian Wilayat al-Faqih, the supreme leader of, of Iran. 
So the organization has been through different phases and transformations, and but started early on as a with with goals and objectives that are very difficult to consume in the Lebanese political sphere, and then it transformed itself later on, getting involved in. Lebanese politics, and then issued a, a new manifesto, which which is more friendly to the Lebanese political sphere. But it continued its military activities even after the Israeli withdrawal of, in, in the year 2000. And it was involved in regional conflicts, such as the conflict in Syria, and even provided some advice and training and expertise to the Houthi movement in Yemen, and played the role, generally speaking, in the forging or formation of Iran's, putting together Iran's strategy in the region following the 2011 Arab uprisings. So, in a nutshell, Hezbollah is a a Khomeinist movement with transnational links to um, Iran and other movements across the region. Um, but it also um, is part of the uh, fabric of Lebanese resistance movements in the 1980s and 90s against Israeli occupation, and later on became embroiled in uh, regional conflicts, increasing Lebanon's um, polarizing uh, politics, with many um, resisting Hezbollah's attempt to dominate uh, the Lebanese political sphere, and trying to restore the uh, country's uh, state institutions and their ability to maintain control over violence and, uh, and, and the decision to go to war and to forge peace regionally. Yeah, exactly. And it's like you said, they're both, in a way, a transnational movement, but also a hyper-localized movement. And I think a lot of people outside of Lebanon don't realize that Hezbollah is also embedded in the government and the parliament and is very much a part of Lebanon's social fabric. For example, I'm in South Lebanon now, and a lot of people call it an Iranian proxy, for example, that in the South it doesn't feel that way. It feels like just very much the dominant political party that people ascribe to here. So what would you say to people that simply that just simplify it as an Iranian proxy? I think it kind of... It misses the point in a way, and I think these uh, these labels, terrorist organizations or Iranian proxies, in a sense, prevent us from understanding the the roots of of these movements, popularities, and um, their um, ability to mobilize um, a large number or a large chunk of the population. So it was a kind of a gradual growth into what it is right now, and I think that had to do more with its ability to to one fight Israeli occupation effectively, and two, to build networks of services across Shia areas, which are impoverished. And I think that kind of helped the uh, organization gain its popularity. So it is an Iranian, it has, it's part of the Iranian network, and it does abide by Iran's supreme leader's instructions, and it declares that it does so, so it's not a, it's not a secret, or it's not a, uh, a misinformation in that sense, but I think it's much, much more than just an Iranian proxy. It's a it's an organization that has succeeded in, in many aspects of its politics, and at the same time, the relationship with Iran, although the pronounced 
form of that relationship is that there's a supreme leader and one, and they abide by his uh, orders, but at the same time, there is some sort of an internal dynamic in which Hezbollah is given some sort of margin to uh, forge its its own way ahead within the wider um, Iranian strategy. Yeah, and um, Hezbollah has a lot of popular legitimacy in Lebanon, of course, but it's also highly polarizing both in Lebanon and abroad. But essentially, it was forged as a response to Israel's occupation in Lebanon in the same way that Hamas was forged in response to Israeli occupation in 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 the Gaza Strip or just Israeli occupation of, of Palestine in general. So they share that relationship with each other. And I think a lot of people are confused about this current conflict that we're seeing in South Lebanon. For listeners to understand, has already displaced between 40 to 60,000 people from border towns on the Lebanese side and also forced the evacuation of Israeli citizens on the other side as well. I think people are confused about why Hezbollah is in the conflict right now with Israel on Israel's northern border as there is the war that's happening in Gaza at the same time between Israel and Hamas. Both organizations have been involved in repairing their relationship and also building a new strategy, a new alliance, which started to see the light in 2021, but it was in the works previously. And that strategy is called the Unity of Front, in which there's a new layer of deterrence that these organizations would have against Israel. Rather than having its deterrence confined to the set of weapons that it's developing, it would pool their resources, share um, whatever tactics and uh, weapons that they can get hold of. And then they would also um, build a an alliance, a, a NATO of non-state actors, some sort of a NATO of non-state actors, in which um, they would all join in if attacked by Israel. And that would uh, deter Israel from launching attacks against these organizations. And I think they've that gradually... So what we're seeing now in South Lebanon has been in the works for years. The Hezbollah has to step in and try and draw a red line around the invasion of the Gaza Strip and destruction of Hamas for a myriad of reasons. So, I mean, of course, the unity of alliance, the unity of fronts and that alliance is one of them. Hezbollah has to heed its part in that alliance. But at the same time, Hezbollah believes that if Hezbollah believes that if the Gaza Strip is invaded and Hamas is eradicated from the Strip, that it will be next. Israel will build a deterrence, or gain morale, and then it will turn around and try and resolve the threat that it faces from Hezbollah. And I think it's um, mostly that belief, not that understanding on Hezbollah's behalf, which is driving its attack in South Lebanon, rather than the other way around. Yeah, and we've seen smaller examples of this unity of front strategy before in smaller kind of tit-for-tat rocket exchanges, but this is, I believe, the biggest escalation that we've seen in Lebanon since the year 2006. And there's so many, there's such a big margin here. I think a lot of people are scared of the threat of a larger regional conflict, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So, what what do you think it is that Hezbollah hopes to achieve here besides just preventing the eradication of Hamas? What is it trying to achieve right now with these kind of border skirmishes that we've seen? Because it's between 
these aren't just clashes. They're much. They're much more than that. There, there have been airstrikes on southern Lebanese towns. There have been civilian casualties, as well as Hezbollah casualties and Palestinian militant casualties and Israeli soldier casualties, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we've also. It's just not. It's not a full-on war as well. So, what is it that they're hoping to achieve here? Yeah, I mean the 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 way we've seen engagement between Hezbollah and Israel. Is not it's more of a tango style dance, step by step. So now we're seeing a level of escalation on the southern borders within a confined region, about five to ten kilometers on the Lebanese side, and the same on the Israeli one. And they've drawn this quite carefully, and they're launching attacks within this geographic um, area. The first thing is to to send a message to the Israelis that Hezbollah will step if we'll step in and we'll be part of this conflict if if Israel continues its ground invasion or its plans to go to invade Gaza. And secondly, it's also a an an, an attempt to engage as many Israeli soldiers in the north as in to divert some of the resources away um, from the Gaza Strip. And within even this uh, this violence, we have two shades that we are seeing. One is Palestinian factions attacking from South Lebanon, which is a uh, a new thing in, in in the country in the sense that this this has been in the making since a few years now. And while there were some uh, launches of rockets in the past year, year and a half, the scale that we're seeing in terms of the attacks from Palestinian factions is a little bit of an upgrade of what we've seen there. Yes, we've only seen Palestinian factions launch some rockets, primitive, some old rockets, Russia's, etc., into northern Israel. But seeing Al-Qassam, the military branch of Hamas, and also the military branch of Islamic Jihad, launch these attacks is, is symbolic and is new on the Lebanese side of things. And the second shade is Hezbollah itself conducting these operations by um, Israeli forces while um, while doing it. And they're confining their attacks within this area, but I think even within this uh, confined geographic engagement of fighting, they can even escalate further. So there's another shade, there's another level that Hezbollah can take a step upwards in, in which Hezbollah can attack more Israeli positions in the north, rather than keeping it confined to trickle at the moment, a number of them now, and, and simultaneously speaking. So I think Hezbollah will keep phasing it's, it's escalation, so I try and avoid an all-out war as it tries to send messages to Israel that you need to limit your operation in the Gaza Strip or this will get out of hand. I think Hezbollah is taking in much more casualties than the Israeli side, I think, to the effect that it's, I think, tenfold. We've seen uh, the Israelis acknowledge three dead so far. A military On the military person, I think there was one civilian on Hezbollah, it's, it's tenfold more. And I think they're, they are being cautious, and, and that can, you can tell that by the number of casualties that they're suffering. Lebanon's government has been really silent. I mean, besides a few statements from the caretaker prime minister, I think now it's worth mentioning that Lebanon doesn't have a functioning, fully empowered government, or even a functioning parliament, or even a president, and the government is just operating in a caretaker capacity. But since October 7 and since the since October 8, when the conflict in between Lebanon and Israel began, 
we haven't really seen any strong remarks from Lebanese leaders. And it kind of feels in a way as though the whole country is waiting to hear what Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah has to say. Usually he's very prolific. He's on TV and he gives these really long three-hour speeches. And whether people hate Hezbollah or they like Hezbollah in Lebanon, uh, and, and he is a very polarizing figure. It does seem like people are kind of waiting to see what he's going to say and where Lebanon is headed before anyone kind of makes a statement. And today we saw him meet with leaders in the Palestinian Islamic Jihad and with Hamas, and they came out with a statement. But still, we haven't heard him speak to the public. So um, is this indicative of anything in terms of where Lebanon is headed or in terms of uh, where the conflict is headed, maybe? It is indicative of how cautious Hezbollah is in in this phase. They're trying to avert an all-out conflict, knowing the cost that they have to pay and the the challenges that they have to face following a conflict at this scale, at least given the Israeli level of threats of promising destruction to Lebanon's infrastructure and also towns and cities. Uh, to the level that we haven't seen even in 2006, they said it's going to be uh, at a destructive level than the one that we've seen in 2006. So I think Hezbollah is trying to be careful in approaching this. But at the same time, the, the they're trying to see what the Israelis are actually planning because Israel has made this objective, which is eradicating Hamas early on in the conflict, but it seems... There's there's also a different plan in the ma- in the making, and they're waiting to see what that is. And in addition to all of that, Sarallah's tone in in the past speeches against Israel and the threats that he has made, etc. And I think are quite were quite high pitch. So in in to some extent, I think he's trying to calibrate this uh, upcoming appearance and draw some lines that are achievable. And, and I think that's quite difficult given the given how sensitive the situation is in South Lebanon. So he, he wants he wants to carefully calibrate his speech, which I think is not a, a bad idea. Lebanon, what happens in Lebanon is going to be completely dictated by what happens in between Israel and Gaza in a way. There's just a lot of different factors and a lot of different directions that we can see this going in. Do you have an idea of what some different scenarios are that could potentially play out for Lebanon, knowing that it is so that it is also so attached to the conflict in in Palestine and Israel right now? The scenario is the one hand, if the Israeli grand invasion is phased, so the the phase one in which they go into certain areas within the Gaza Strip. I think Hezbollah would escalate within the within these parameters that it has set on October eighth. But if the if Israel decides to go all the way and finish Hamas in Gaza and conduct the whole operation, I think it would have to escalate further than that. At the end of the day, the the organization is, has set has said that an invasion of Gaza, destruction of Hamas in Gaza, would mean the uh, Hezbollah would have to fight Israeli army in Beirut, and the same applies to the Iranian thinking on this. I think in, uh, in the next phase they have to escalate if that happens. 
But also within the escalation, the first escalation in which Hezbollah will conduct more operations on the northern borders and against Israel, things might go wrong there in terms of high Israeli fatalities prompting Israel to open the second front or even escalate against Hezbollah. So there's there's a high probability or a high margin, a wide margin of error in, in, in this escalation as well. So I think one thing that we know for sure, regardless of how this turns out, whether there's going to be a broader war or whether there's going to be just kind of a, a small uh, conflict on the border that eventually fizzles out, and we don't know what it's going to be. But either way, I think the geopolitics in the region has been changed pretty significantly. And also in Lebanon, probably the, the issue of Hezbollah being Hezbollah's weapons is more polarizing than ever in a country that's so politically fragmented and where Hezbollah's weapons are such a resurgent issue. Because as, as we know, some people say there's no reason for a paramilitary to have this much might, even more so than the Lebanese army. So uh, yeah, and I, I think what's interesting and the reason that I say that it's so completely it so completely changes the map geopolitically is because in 2006, when this conflict broke out, when the, when, the, when the July war happened, I mean, it was kind of Hezbollah showing what it's capable of. But now it's more so a meeting of peers. I think there's really genuine fears that if a regional conflict breaks out, it wouldn't really be good for anyone. So can we talk a little bit about the 2006 war and how it differs from what's happening now and also in what ways it's similar. So basically, 2006 conflict came after a year after the assassination of Prime Minister Rafi Hariri, in which um, Hezbollah operatives were convicted in an um, inter international tribunal, tribunal many years later. So that was a moment of polarization in, in Lebanon at the peak, at the peak of polarization. And I think the, the, the way Hezbollah is approaching the political scene now is more relaxed than it was in, in 2006. And I, I do see the impact on the country's infrastructure, security, state institutions to be huge. I mean, in 2006, Syria was not in the state that it is now. Many people escaped through Syria abroad. Now they only have the sea routes outside the country. And I think Syria is quite difficult to access. And add to that, you have 1.5 million Syrian refugees that were not here in Lebanon and in 2006, with 1.5 million Syrian refugees and rising crime rates, very weak state institutions, and um, I think it was it's quite difficult to imagine a good scenario, a scenario in which the country would stay in in its current form after uh, the conflict. So this will have a profound impact on on many levels. Socioeconomically, of course, you have um, half of the population under the poverty line. Um, a conflict would exacerbate the um, inequalities that already exist in the country and would um, increase the pain of many Lebanese citizens. And at the same time, it will create a new 
population which is internally displaced, with Hezbollah unable to reconstruct South Lebanon and other parts of the country that will be damaged, including Bahi, southern suburbs of Beirut, in the same manner it did in 2006 when you had Gulf support, when you had also lucrative Iranian support and help to the families in, in South Lebanon and otherwise. And I think Hezbollah is aware of, of these difficulties, and this is why they're trying to phase out their escalation. And at the same time, if, if we reach a stage whereby an all-out conflict is, is inevitable, and I don't think it is, this it doesn't apply now, but if we reach a stage where this is the case, I think it will it will it will understand that it's the consequences will be will be very painful and real, and it would have to take a different approach in the post conflict phase than it has now. Could Hezbollah shift how things turn out for Israel? But to be honest, we know there's so many factors that go into this question. First of all, is there going to be a ground invasion in Gaza or is that going to be de-escalated? Will Hezbollah have to jump in because there's going to be a ground invasion? Or if there's no ground invasion, will they be able to de-escalate on the Lebanese side? And to be honest, I know you said that they're trying to de-escalate. Could you talk a little bit about how they're trying to de-escalate? So we have reporting that says that Iran and Hezbollah have supported Hamas. We don't know to the extent to which they knew about this operation, but I do think that if the Qassam brigades were going to do an operation like this, such a big operation that they know is going to incur Israel's wrath in a very disproportionate way, wouldn't they kind of have the blessing from Hezbollah or from Iran and sort of these guarantees that um, they are willing to escalate if push comes to shove? It's difficult to tell if they, what kind of knowledge they have. Of, of the operation. At the end of the day, to conduct such a such a wide-scale operation as the October 7 one and avert Israeli intelligence attention, this has to be planned in a very tight circle. So I, 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 I'm not sure what was shared. I don't know what was shared between Iran, Hezbollah, and the Axis with Hamas. I've heard that Hamas shared general information that there will be an attack at this current status quo in Gaza is not sustainable. And we know that this these tactics that Hamas used in on October 7 have shown up in different forms in the capabilities of the Axis resistance factions, specifically Hezbollah, which suggests but does not 100 percent confirm that these were transferred from Hezbollah and the axis of resistance to Hamas at um, at a certain point in the past years. But, it, you know, th- this scale of operation is not really the style of the axis of resistance. They don't launch an attack that kills uh, so many people in, um, in, in such a, a scale that will uh, escalate things. Um, for them, their approach is more of an attrition war approach in which it's a slow, painful attacks on Israel, on the United States, pushing them to decide at some stage to withdraw and shift their own strategy or renegotiate the rules of engagement. But the Hamas uh, attack was at a scale which was not known or not 
the usual modus operandi of the axis of resistance uh, factions. But having said that, I have no information. I don't know what what kind of uh, planning or involvement the Iranians had in, in this operation. And as why Hezbollah will try to keep its escalation confined, I don't think Hezbollah will de-escalate. The current level of conflict will continue to be the case, but it will try to confine and limit its escalation against the Israelis in the next phase as to try and avert an all-out conflict. And they can do that in, in a number of ways. One, they conduct many attacks, but not lethal ones, in the sense that they can destroy Israeli installations, they can attack Israeli... The way they pick their targets, I mean, attacking Israeli cameras on the, on the border, in the border region, and then bombing Israeli bases. But but one, once the ground invasion starts, then the escalation uh, increases, M- mistakes and errors in wars happen. There's a, there's a high probability that things will go out of hand. And so not only Hezbollah has to look after the war with Israel, it also has to provide for a million, a million plus internally displaced Lebanese in the country. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's like you're saying, we don't know we don't know what they were thinking or how this was planned. So in a way, Hamas the Hamas operation didn't just push Israel and the West, it also very much pushed the Middle East. Regardless of what ends up happening, we know that this kind of scale of attack is pretty unprecedented. Whether other political parties or political players were aware or helped with the planning or were not aware, it's still unprecedented, and it's kind of highlighting several things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I see. I see that. But uh, regardless of of how things develop, I think the large Palestinian toll in the in this conflict is is stunning and will definitely have an impact on the Gaza Strip. But definitely, I mean, what we, what we know so far is October 7 has been a pivotal moment in this, in this region. It will impact everything uh, moving forward. That's it for today. For more information on what's happening in Israel and Gaza, please subscribe to get every episode of Beyond the Headlines, where we explain and analyze the current conflict and follow our coverage at www.thenationalnews.com. This episode was produced by Matt Kiniston, Dua Farid, and Arthur Edison. And I'm your host, Nada Homsi.